Hello, my lovelies. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Victoria's podcast on murder, mystery, and mayhem. Today's podcast, we're going to look at Leah Fowler stabbed to death by her 12-year-old brother. Leela 8 was stabbed in her bedroom while under the care of her older brother. All crime scene evidences indicate that the boy was the perpetrator. Leila lived in Valley Springs, California. The town has about 3,000 people living there and is considered a very safe place to live. She lived with her father, Barney Fowler, and her stepmother. On April the 27th, 2013, Leila, who was then eight years old, was at home with her 12-year-old brother, Isa. Her father and stepmother had gone out to watch a soccer game and she was left in the care of her older brother. Sometime during the afternoon, Isa went to the bathroom and from inside the room, he heard a male voice say, Hey, I know you're there. Seconds later, Layla started screaming. When he left the bathroom, he saw a tall, grey-haired man running out the front door. As soon as he reached the bedroom, Isaiah found Layla lying in a pool of blood. <clears throat> the children's parents were notified quickly and arrived home, even before the ambulance. Barney was able to hold his daughter. She was still alive in his arms. As soon as the emergency services arrived, Layla was taken to the hospital. But due to the brutality of her injuries, she died. When police authorities arrived on the scene, Isaiah provided more details about the man who had broken into the house. In addition to being tall and grey-haired, he was Caucasian or Hispanic and was wearing a black long sleeve shirt and jeans. Taking the information given by Isaiah as a starting point, the police quickly came to believe that the perpetrator did not act randomly, meaning that he already knew who his victim would be. Searches were conducted all over town. Many neighbours joined the search and an extensive area was patrolled. A neighbour who lived across the street from the Fowlers testified that she saw a man running out of the victim's house that same day. Fingerprints and possible evidence were collected. Strangely, there were no signs of forced entry in the house and nothing was stolen. A set of kitchen knives belonging to the family was also collected for forensics. It didn't take long for the residents of the town to panic and many rumours of a serial killer were disturbing the families. The police redoubled security in strategic areas and from that moment on everyone crossing the main accesses to the county was stopped and required to provide documents. So they were asked for driver's licenses and proof of registration of their cars, anybody that kind of was trying to get into that county. Two men who committed kidnapping crimes at the time 
were named as suspects. It did not take long for the investigation to prove that neither of them matched the physical description given by Isaiah. And their alibis for the day of Layla's murder were consistent. At this point in the investigation, a neighbour who confirmed that she had also seen a grey-haired man running out of the Fowler house on the date of the crime decided to retract her statement and communicated that she would no longer cooperate with the police. So I imagine she was probably lying. And it can happen where we all get hyped up in something and somebody says, oh, do you know what? I seen something. But she claimed that she was afraid of retaliation for reporting what she had seen. This was the most important clue in the case and her initial statement matched Isaiah's version perfectly. Another neighbour of Isaiah told the police that he spent the afternoon cutting grass with his dogs and nothing caught his attention that day. And according to him, if there had been someone rushing out of the front of the house, his dog surely would have barked. From this point on, the police review the statements and information provided by Isaiah and find inconsistencies. It was known that Layla was stabbed in her bunk bed, but somehow her body was found on the floor. There was no bloody footprints indicating that she had walked across the room herself. A knife was found in the kitchen drawer and on the blade were traces of blood that later proved to be the victims. When the paramedics arrived on the scene after Isaiah's call, Layla's body was already cold, indicating that it took several hours for the emergency services to be called. Because Isaiah had stated that his sister had been stabbed and about a minute or minute and a half later, he arrived in her room. All this evidence resulted in Isaiah's arrest, where the charge of second degree murder was confirmed on May the 11th, 2003. The news of Isaiah's arrest left the population confused. His teachers, neighbours and friends said they could not believe that this young man was capable of killing his own sister. Isaiah's father and stepmother also stood by him. Isaiah denied the crime and had the support of his family. His father even said in public that he would only believe the police if the investigators brought evidence that was, according to him, indisputable. Now, as a father, I can understand that, right? Obviously, I'm not a father, but... He believes he knows his son and he believes his son would never commit a crime like that and that the police are just pointing fingers at him because they can't find who did it. So he needs evidence that he can't dispute it to know that his son murdered his daughter. The forensics in charge of the case said that a drop of Layla's blood was found on the kitchen sink. And other small stains were found on the door that connected the same room to the garage. The bathroom in the house was extremely clean compared to the clutter in other rooms. 
The prosecution suggested that Layla was attacked while lying on top of the bunk bed and soon after was dragged or pushed to the floor. A t-shirt soiled with Layla's blood was discovered inside a basket in Isaiah's room. No signs of sexual violence and no traces of semen were found. Isaiah's defence claimed that the forensics were not done properly and evidence was contaminated due to the way it was collected. His lawyer said that the authorities prematurely ignored the fact that someone had broken into the house. The judge did not accept any of these allegations and the prosecution had a very strong basis since the murder weapon was in fact the knife that contained the victim's blood. Leila's blood seeped into this knife. Why would the murder weapon be on the counter if an intruder did this? Why would an intruder clean it off? These were questions that the prosecutor asked. Isaiah Fowler was convicted of second degree murder and required to remain in custody until he turned 23. No motivation for the crime has been made clear. Some child psychologists suggest that Isaiah would have had a fit of rage at the time he committed the crime, and this may have been triggered by a past trauma. The boy's family continues to believe in his innocence to this day, and many appeals asking for the sentence to be overturned continue to be sent to his lawyer. Uh, it's a very hard situation, so obviously his family believe he's innocent. <clears throat> Me, I think he did it. I reckon he did it because he was jealous of his sister. He didn't like the attention she was getting from probably the father and the stepmother. So he killed her, like. I mean, you have to remember, he's only 12 years old. So what he thought was in a fit of rage, or maybe she threatened him and said, well, if you don't give me that, I'll tell mom and dad that you did this. I don't know what happened. But Isaiah has been found guilty of the murder and he'll remain in prison until he's 23 years of age. And at that stage, he can come out and to the bosom of his family because his father and his stepmother don't believe that he did it. I'd like to know what happened to his real mother. Where does she fit into this picture? Because she hasn't been mentioned at all. Is she deceased? Is she still alive? Did she sign her parental rights away? I personally don't know, but I would love to know what happened to the real mother because I think kids in these situations, if it's not dealt with correctly at the time and the kids aren't given the help and the love and support that they need, it can cause a lot of anger and aggression in them. And you have to remember... He was only 12 years old and his sister was eight. A 12-year-old child's mind and brain is still growing. So how they'd handle a situation compared to how you or I might handle a situation is completely different. He never admitted to murdering his sister. But due to the knife being found in the house and that it was cleaned and there was no bloody footprints, there was no fingerprints found. I mean, none of it made sense that an intruder came in. She screamed. He leaves the room one and a half minutes later, gets to her and she's stone cold by the time the paramedics arrive. I don't know. 
So that's today's podcast and thank you all so much for listening as usual. We had a big hurling match on today in Limerick. So it was Limerick versus Clare. I'm living in Limerick, but I was living in Clare for a long time. So it was very interesting. It was a very good match. It's with the GAA here in Ireland. So it's hurling. And Limerick won, so they're now champions of the Munster final and going on to the All-Ireland finals. So it was a very good day here in Limerick. The sun was shining. It's beautiful. My husband was playing a cricket match. I'm working and I finished work and I came home and I said I had a chance so I'd catch up and do my podcast. So I hope you all have an amazing week ahead and thank you as always for listening.